0: Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 24 and 25. And if you, uh, as you're doing that, in your notes there at the top, you see the basic idea that confidence, video talked about confidence to enter God's holy presence. Well, confidence to enter God's holy presence is shown by taking bold action to stay close. So that's the idea. We saw draw near. We take bold action to draw near. Bold action to hold fast. And now, today, take bold action to stay close, stay close. And so uh, let's read Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, where are we in chapter 10? So in your notes, I kind of have a layout of verses 19 through 23. And so let's look at that, kind of, if, if this is your first time, then this will catch you up a little bit. As believer priests, we are new covenant believer priests who have complete confidence to enter into the most holy place. That's verse 19. By means of the wrath satisfying blood of Jesus. That's verse 20. On the basis of the sinless mediation of the great high priest, and ruler over us as God's people, verse 21, we now, with all that background, we take bold action to draw near in faith, verse 22, hold fast to our hope, verse 23, and now stay close to one another because the day of Christ drawing near is fast approaching. And that's verses 24 through twenty-five. Now, the letter of Hebrews was written to a group of at-risk Jewish Christians who were tempted to turn away from Christ because of severe persecution. And the author of this letter is really writing, we don't know who the author is, but he's writing to us in order to challenge those Jewish believers to persevere in their faith. He, and he does that by emphasizing the word better. He's always talking about how Christ is better, a better mediator, a better high priest, a better sacrifice, a better covenant, better promises, a better city, a better country. He wants them to know, and he wants us to know that what we have in Jesus is better than any ism, Judaism, Hinduism, whatever ism. Hedonism, whatever philosophy, whatever religion, what we have in Jesus is better because by Jesus' blood, his torn body, his spilled blood, we get to enter in, as the video talked about, we get to enter into God's very holy presence by means of Jesus Christ. And so, as you look at these, and on that basis, then, we take this bold action. So if you notice, we take bold action to draw near by faith. We take bold action to hold fast to our hope. And here, in verses 24 through 25, with confidence, we stay close, and the focus is here on love. So if you know someone that's thinking about giving up on Jesus, take them to Hebrews 10. Because this is an instruction manual on what to say to those who are thinking of giving up their faith. Now, what's the same in these verses? We've been moving through these these verses. What's the same? Well, we're still in one sentence. Verses 19 through 25 is one sentence in the Greek. So these ideas are all interrelated. Even though we're taking separate lessons... They're all interrelated. So, you know, you don't do this without doing this, and you don't do this without doing this, all right? It's also still a command. The command is to stay close. So the king, Jesus, our high priest, he's speaking to us. It's still in the present tense. These are things that we are to keep on doing. Do them weekly. Do them daily. Keep doing them over and over for the rest of your life until Christ comes. The writer is still including himself. Uh, back in the 90s when it was more hip, I used to call this the cabbage patch of the Bible because it's full of lettuces. Lettuce? Us. Lettuce? Us. Jim? Jim, are you with me? That's a good one. Let it, but I don't do that anymore because cabbage patch, that's not, you know, that's not it. Let us hold fast. Let us draw near. Let us stay close. And the writers, including himself, why is that important? That's important because, listen, this isn't for the just the committed Christian. This isn't just for the vocational pastor. This isn't just for certain ones that say, well, I want to go the extra mile. No, this is for everybody. This is the normal Christian life for every believer. And then finally, it's still enveloped in this idea of faith, hope, and love. But what's different in these verses? There's some differences. Look at verses, again, 24 and 25. We have some differences. First of all, this is the only, so the second time in the whole book, there's only two times where he uses one another. And the other time he uses it, he says the same thing. Encourage one another encourage one another so that's important there's a shift in these verses from drawing near to God to drawing near to one another so we've gone from vertical to horizontal okay there's also an emphasis in verse 24 on meditation before action so in the previous we've seen draw near go do it hold fast go do that do that Now, here it's like, wait a minute, consider before you take action, okay? So there's a thinking process involved. And then there's a direct reference to congregational worship that we haven't seen before. In verse 25, it talks about assembling together. And so it's talking about the corporate, the congregational, the gathering of a local assembly. And then there is something different in this verse, in verse 25, it talks about how the future ought to impact the present. It says, look, the day of His coming is drawing near. Up to this time, we've been looking back. Okay? Draw near to God because of what Christ has done in the past. Hold fast to your faith because you held on to it in the past. Now, we're saying, hey, gather, do something in the present because of what's happening in the future. And so, here's the shift. What's the big idea Assembly required. Assembly required. That's the big idea. The focus is on assembling together as God's people is required. Remember dads when you used to buy buy Christmas gifts and it would say assembly required and you dreaded that? Well, guess what? Uh, God says assembling together is required and some Christians still dread that, right? And so we're going to learn why we shouldn't have that attitude. So here's the main idea. As believer priests, stay close by assembling together in loving fellowship and encouraging worship. Why? Because the day of Him assembling us together is drawing near. In other words, draw near to one another because the day of Him drawing near to us is on the horizon. Assembly is required. Now, Gathering as a local church has always been required or an essential part of biblical Christianity. Think about Acts 2. Acts 2, when the church was born, the Holy Spirit came down on a 120 believers, the first, church, the first believers of the local church, and they were assembled together. And there in Acts 2, we also see how that church grew. Because it says this in verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And then the last sentence describing this congregational worship says this in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, what's the, what's, what's the big deal about that? Well, listen. God did not add people to the church without saving them, and God did not save them without adding them to a church. That's the significance. Assembly is required. There's always been, listen to me, there's always been an organic relationship between salvation and church membership. It's an unchanging pattern. And it's only recently in our culture, and only recently that we come up with this category of unchurched Christians. People who profess Christ, who say they know Jesus, and yet are are not ashamed to say, no, I, I don't go to church, I don't need to go to church. That's a recent phenomenon. And yet, the question, if you were to ask the question, who needs church? Well, whoever says they're saved needs church. Okay, that's the idea. It doesn't mean, now listen, it doesn't mean that church membership, church attendance, or church part- participation saves you. God forgives us how? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? But it means this, to be a healthy, growing Christian, you must be a part, an active participant of a local church. To do otherwise, you simply will not grow in your Christian life, and we'll see it could lead to even greater questions about your Christian life. So here's what I want to do for the time we have left, three exhortations, these verses that we're looking at, three exhortations for staying close to one another. Now, if you came today, you know, I mean, this is the type of lesson that if you haven't been here for a while, you're going to think, wow, he's talking right to me, you know. uh, Why why did I come today, right? And if you come here every week, you're thinking, well, I'm glad those people came because I don't need this. But here's the reality about these verses. There's something for everybody today, okay? None of us have this nailed down, all right, what this verse really means. So let's take a look at it. Point number one is this. Motivating one another to love and good works requires assembly. Motivating one another to good works requires assembly. Notice verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good, dirt, good deeds. In other words, you stay close to motivate One another. Now, circle that word love or highlight it, however you do it. Highlight that word love. The only other time love as a noun is used in the book of Hebrews is in Hebrews 6. So turn to your Bibles, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 6. And let's look at 6 verses 7 through 12. This is the only other time love is used as a noun in this book. And I think it has some things to tell us. Now, when you get to Hebrews 6, verse 7, it's doing a word picture. And it's a word picture of different soils, and the rain falls on all different, falls the same. And the rain is the work of the Word and the Spirit as it falls on different people's hearts. Okay, that's the ground. Notice what it says, verse 7. For the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those whose, for whose sake it also it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. So the ground that gets the rain, and brings forth vegetation, is blessed of God. But verse eight, if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed. And it ends up just being burned. It's worthless. You just burn it for heat or whatever. But, verse 9, "...but, beloved, we are convinced of better things." There's the idea, better things. What are the better things concerning you? "...and things that accompany salvation." In other words, he's saying to them, "...look, I know you're wavering. I know you're, you're struggling." but I think of better things for you. I think you're truly born again. And I think the things that come with salvation are characterized in your life. Notice what those things are. Though we are speaking in this way, we're, we're, we're warning you. For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name. That which should accompany our salvation is love and good works, that's done for the fame of His name. All right? Well, what are those works? Having ministered and in still ministering to who? To the saints. Do you see what's going on? What should company salvation? Serving God's people. But why do we do it? For the fame of His name. So out of love for Him, we love one another. Now, notice it goes on. And we desire that each one of you... So who gets in on the serving? Everyone. Everyone. Show the same diligence. Is serving in the church easy? No, it's hard work. You've got to be diligent. You've got to get at it. you got to get after it. So as to realize... Now notice what comes from this serving. You're saved and you show up by serving, but what happens in the serving as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Basically what it's saying is, you'll have assurance of salvation. You want assurance of your salvation? Start serving God's local assembly. Because as you serve it, you will grow in your assurance of God working in and through you, And you do it out of love for Him because sometimes God's people aren't that easy to love. True? Listen, if you focus on the people, we love one another because He has first loved us and we love Him. And because He loves us unconditionally, then I can work and love you. And you can work and love me when I'm not easy to love. And guess what? When you're not easy to love. This is powerful. Now listen, turn to Hebrews 13. The verb for love is used in Hebrews 13 in a very powerful way. Hebrews 13. I just want you to see what does it mean to love, talk about motivating one another with love and good works. Look at Hebrews 13 verses 1 through 5. Hebrews 13, 1 through 5. He says in Hebrews 13... Verse 1, let the love of the brethren continue. So how do you do that? Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, strangers aren't the guy off the street that you've never met. Strangers are other believers who come... And intersect your life, and you show hospitality. So, right after services today, Gwen and I will drive to uh, Parkade Baptist in Columbia, Missouri. I'm going to teach the last time with perspectives tonight. And then we're going to stay in someone's home we've never met. But assuming they're, I assume they're believers, they're going to assume Mama believes, they're going to show love and hospitality. That's the idea, all right? Now, notice, to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. It says, remember the prisoners as though you were in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. And then it talks about marriage. Then it talks about money, topics that we're, we're talking about as a church. My point is this. Loving one another and doing good works, there, it, it happens in a variety of ways in a variety of places, but it should characterize our lives. Now, how do you motivate one another how to do that? This verse breaks it down in three ways. So let's take a look. How do we motivate one another to love in good works? Well, first of all, as believer priests, this is our duty and our delight is to show our love. Just show it. Show our love by doing good works to one another. Now, the point is really this. Show Christ to one another. Now, think about it. Our church, what's the, what's the purpose of our church? Our mission is to know Christ, grow in Christ, and then what's number three? Show Christ. Show Christ to one another and to our community. How do you do that? By loving and doing good works for one another. I think I have it in your notes. Love's the motive, and good works are the manifestation. So in the bulletin today, we've got a a note from Dewana, who just lost her husband. And she just lists all these things. Thank you for caring, notes, letters, visiting, praying, she she basically describes love and good works, right? That's how you do it. It's really that simple. You see a need and you you meet it. You see a need and you meet it. But you know what we tend to do? We tend to ask instead of act. We tend to wonder instead of work. What do I mean? We tend to, I wonder how they're doing. Oh well. I I wonder where they are. Oh wait, wait a minute! I'm hungry. I got to get something here. You know, I I wonder if they need anything. Well, I'm sure someone will take care of it. You see, we wonder instead of work. We ask, but we don't act. Are are you with me on this? And, and you know, and I'm as guilty as this as any of us. You know, the idea, uh, the spirit is constant. How many of you have been prompted to do something? You think about it, and then you don't do it. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Would you join me? Several, many years ago, I made a commitment. I'm going to act on those promptings. Don't do it perfectly. Don't do it sinlessly. But do it more. So instead of saying, I'll pray for you, you know what I do now? I just say, let's pray. Let's just pray. I mean, why say I'll pray? How many people have said you pray for something and you never do it? Now, every, either you all liars or, you know, everybody's hands up, right? Yeah. You know, one way to avoid that is just do it, right? And so time and time again, when, I, someone, when God has laid someone on my heart and I've acted, I've found again and again. It happens with my daughter in college. God will put her on my heart for a week, and then at the end of the week, she'll call. How you doing? Man, Last this week's been rough you know what, I didn't know what was going on, but I've been praying for you, right? I send people, use that smartphone, make it a ministry phone, right? You know, instead of looking at crazy stuff, use it to send verses to people. So I don't send just references anymore, I send the passage. I I cut and paste the passage. I did that with someone in our class, and they said, you know what, like three weeks later, I've been reading that every day, ever since you sent it. Well, great, God's been ministering to them, but love and good works, all right? Now, here's what's interesting about love. Faith, you can have by yourself. Hope, you can hold to it by yourself. But guess what? You can't love without assembly required, right? you got to be together, okay? So what? Did, how do we do this? Second point, stimulate stimulate one another in this process. So, how do I show love? I need to be stimulated. Or you could say stir up or spur on. There's all sorts of ways to say it. Look at your English translation. Some say stimulate. I like that, except in our sexualized culture, kind of, I don't know, stimulate. Spur, stir up, provoke. Provoke's a great word. Provoke one another to love and good works. Some say motivate. The idea behind all of these is you prod one another and get a reaction. You ever heard the saying, don't prod a sleeping bear? Why? What happens? They react, right? Well, this actually says you're supposed to do that to one another. We're to prod one another, provoke one another, keep And one guy calls it, I like what he calls it, be a positive irritant. Because this word for provoke is usually used in a negative way. It's usually talking about provoking people to anger, okay? And it's used of Barnabas and Paul who had that disagreement and that provocation to where they separated. But this is a provoking that's supposed to bring us together. So I like the idea be a positive irritant in people's lives, right? In order to prom- provoke them, stimulate them to love and good works. But I want to say this to you, the negative side of this word is still there. Because you know that verse in Proverbs or, or is, is it Proverbs or Psalm, Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron. Right? Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Well, you don't sharpen iron by being hugging, caressing, and going easy. You take another piece of metal and you rub that metal the wrong way. That's how iron sharp. You rub the wrong way. And so true friends are not people who always agree with you and encourage you on the wrong path. True friends... Are the ones that seek to make you better. And they're the friends that are risking even you being bitter if you don't heed biblical advice. That's the true idea here. And so being a true friend or provoking one another to love sometimes means put a supportive hand, but sometimes it means putting a finger in the face. I didn't say give them the put put a finger, put a finger, and and and, and confronting. In other words, we need both tender love and tough love. You say, Chris, is that really in there? Well, in Hebrews 13, 22, the author of this letter says, I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Well, first of all, you know he's a pastor because he's written 13 chapters, and he says, I've written to you briefly. Okay? I always get a kick out of that. And... But he says, bear with this word of exhortation. So this whole letter has been to provoke them to love. And sometimes in this letter, he gets right in their face and he warns them, look, the path you're on is a path leading to destruction. And then he'll say, but I believe better things about you. And he comforts them and he encourages them. But he says, bear with this, tolerate this, put up with me as I encourage you. So the bottom line is this. The point is not to motivate people to action by beating them down. It's by it's motivating to action by drawing them out. The point is not to move people to action by externally shaming them, but by internally stirring them up. Are you with me? But listen, here's the warning. You can't draw out what God hasn't first put in people. Sometimes we're trying to stimulate people that aren't born again. And remember this, another warning. You're not likely to draw out of someone what you're not putting into them. So if you're trying to draw out love and good works, the way to do that is show them what? Love and good works. All right, Good stuff. Very good stuff. So here's the third idea. This is tricky, isn't it? So how do you be a positive irritant? Well, number two, or number three, got to spend time reflecting on how to do this. Spend time reflecting together how to keep doing this for one another personally and congregationally. That's why he says, let us consider. Because if I'm going to be, because here's the deal. It's easy to be an irritant in people's lives, just kind of do what comes natural, right? Okay, being an irritant, a negative irritant, is not, is not hard. It doesn't take any thought. But being a positive irritant, to where you're, you're applying pressure, so to speak, but you're drawing out of them the desire to follow Jesus, that takes some thought. Because everybody's different. And what motivates you may not motivate them. And what motivated that person may not motivate this person. Make sense? So you got to think about it. you got to think about it. But you know what's interesting? This idea of thinking about other believers, this word consider is used two other times in Hebrews, and the other two times it's about considering Jesus. Think on Jesus. Think on Jesus. But here it's think on one another. Think on about one another. Now, what is this telling us? This is telling us that true Christian love and true Christian fellowship is not about a location. It's not about social or organizational or institutional or a program. It's an internal attitude that I have where I care and I have compassion, and I have concern about people, and I dwell on how I can meet their needs. And you know a great place to do this is our grow groups, okay? So we had our, our uh, kickoff last week with half our groups canceled because of the, the epidemic that's going around. And, uh, but today, you know, they're, they're meeting tonight. Now, grow groups are a great place to show love, They're a great place to stimulate and spur on, and they're a great place to spend time thinking, now, how can we motivate others? But I want to say, as great as those groups are, that's not the only place that should be happening. It should be happening when we're gathered here in class, when we're upstairs as a congregation. It should be happening during the week. How can I motivate? How can I think? So that's the first idea. The first idea is motivate one another requires assembly. Here's the second idea. Meeting with one another for fellowship and worship requires assembly. Meeting with one another for worship and fellowship requires assembly. Let's move down to verse 25. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Okay? So here's the idea. Your presence and your participation is required for encouragement. Your presence and your participation. So let's, let's take that first one. Your presence is required for encouragement. If you'd asked me, what's the one verse in the Bible that's, that commands us to go to church? Here it is. This is it. And yet, look at that verse. It doesn't really tell us to go to church. What's it tell us to do? What's the command? Not forsaking. Not forsaking. Assembling. Because here's the idea. Everywhere in the New Testament, and I've already said that, I began the lesson. Everywhere in the New Testament, the assumption is saved people gather in local churches. So the issue is not, hey, start going to church. Start going. There's something wrong when you profess Christ and you can't get someone to come to church. I'd go back and share the gospel again. Okay. Rather, we gather and and the danger is that we fall away, that's the danger. Okay, so let's take a look at this. It says neglecting, not forsaking. Man, that's an intense word, not forsaking. It means to totally abandon. It basically means to quit church. Don't quit church. That's the idea. In fact, it's used in Hebrews 13, 5 of God's promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. All right? So that's how powerful and intensive. Every Christian should be marked present when the church assembles on the Lord's Day. Now, I know that in our in our day and age, talking about doing anything, requiring anything of a Christian is immediately considered to be what? Legalism. Immediately, it's legalism. You're nitpicking. Uh, it's just impractical. But I want you to notice something about this verse. It says that there were those who had abandoned, forsaken, and quit. had quit assembling, and it had become a habit and a custom. But notice... Why were the, why was that happening in the book of Hebrews? And here's why. Because they were under persecution. And literally, by going to church, you could be marked out, thrown in prison, you could lose your property, and you could even be, what? Killed. Now, with all of that, what is God still saying to them? Do not forsake. Still go. Now, I'm stepping on toes at this point, I realize, but I'm not doing it. Listen to what God's saying. Listen, God still said to them, don't neglect meeting together. If God didn't excuse these first century believers, even though they may be martyred if they showed up, then I know God doesn't excuse us for our sinful, selfish, often silly, and even superficial reasons that we come up with for missing church. I mean, can you imagine You know, bringing most of our reasons, bringing them to God, and God saying, uh, I told those guys back there, they needed to keep coming, even though they might lose their house. They might be thrown in prison. Now, you might be saying, well, does this mean I have to attend every meeting and function and service of the church? No, not necessarily. The question is this. Here's what the point is. What are you most known for? being present or being absent that's the idea if you're absent and others don't know where you are but they're not surprised by your absence then you're probably out of god's will in relation to this verse you know in other words you know if your habit is to be hit and miss then when you miss guess what what do people assume well that's just, that's their habit They'll, they'll show up again. And then they show up again. He, I, 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 and I think I have this in your notes because this, this is good stuff. If you can miss church without being missed at church, something is missing. But if you can miss church without missing church, something is missing. That's just good stuff. That is good stuff. And it, and it hits us where we live. It hits us where we live. So, your presence is required for encouragement, but also your participation, okay? So, you know, if you're hit and miss, that last point was kind of uncomfortable. If you're a consistent person, this point's for us, okay? All right? Uh, as, as talking to Jim said earlier, he said, yeah, you know, when you're vocational... Uh, you know, when you're in vocational ministry, you know it, it's not an option of whether you know it's just you you go. But early on in my Christian life, I made several determinations. One, I'm going to read the Bible. Two, I'm going to give. Three, I'm going to church. And you just got to make that determination, settle it, so that I mean, because believe me, I'm just like the rest of you. If I if every Sunday morning I made the decision of whether to come or go. Somebody else would be teaching here, okay? <laughs> because, that, because that's just, if you leave it to a weekly basis, the flesh, the devil, the, the weather, I mean, you name it. Okay, so here's the idea, your participation. Now, notice, it says, not neglecting the meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So here's the idea. The, the contrast is not between not showing up and showing up. What's the contrast between? Not showing up and encouraging. Whoa, that just steps up the idea of what we're supposed to be doing when we're here. So, so, but let me tell you: presence is encouraging. Absence is discouraging. So don't ever sell yourself short. No one will miss me. Someone will miss you. And absence is always discouraging. But, 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 is your presence encouraging? Are you with me? You see, even though you and I may attend the worship meeting on a regular basis, you neglect meeting together when you show up late and when you leave early. You neglect the meeting when you get to church and hang outside in the hall instead of taking part in The service or the class you neglect the meeting when you show up with a bad attitude you forsake the assembly when you're inhospitable critical or irreverent you neglect the meeting when you spend the service sleeping or talking or texting you neglect the meeting when you're on your phone during prayer during praise during preaching during teaching do you see the idea So the idea is participation with an effort and a desire to encourage one another. Now, here's some practical questions. What's at stake when we forsake assembling together? Well, I think what's at stake is missing a few times becomes missing a lot, and missing a lot becomes abandoning, even though we may never say that's what we're doing. And the thing in the book of Hebrews is this. Salvation and assembly is so organically linked that when we fail and abandon consistent and regular attendance, something's going on internally. Something's going on spiritually. And so notice, let's drop down. It says, what might cause us to stop meeting together well, guess what? It's the same things that might cause us not to hold fast. It's the very same things. We start not coming because of persisting in willful sin, ongoing suffering, increasing persecution, or just laziness. That's the sin in America. It's just, it's work. It's work. And we've lost the the fame of his name. We've lost the idea of of how much He's done for us and how assembling together. So let's, let's keep moving. Let's look at the last point, and it's this. The last exhortation is this. We're exhorted to stay close for this powerful reason. Manifesting our hope in Christ's soon return requires assembly. Look at the last part of verse 5. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, there is so much packed into that. But here's the idea. In every congregation, there's people that say, we go to church too much. We have church too much. In fact, it's popular today to keep trimming back, trimming back the number of times we hear teaching, preaching, fellowship, Keep trimming back. And yet this verse, God says we should assemble more as you see Christ appearing. Why? Because the closer we get to the second coming, the darker the days are, are going to be. And the darker the days are going to be, the more we need to gather to encourage one another. I don't think it's an accident, listen to me, I don't think it's an accident that as we draw closer to Christ's return that the devil is getting the church to meet less. Right? That's just, that's no accident. In fact, one survey said 66% of Americans believe that Jesus Christ will return to earth someday and yet one-third of those people say they never attend church. Okay, that's a contradiction. And yet, here's the cool thing. This word for assembling together is only used one other time in the whole Bible. And you know where it's used? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for when Jesus returns and gathers us up, assembles us up together. And here's the author of Hebrews saying the same thing. Listen, there's coming a day When we're going to be assembled together, it's going to be the greatest worship service, the greatest assembling of every believer from Old Testament to New Testament. And if you, if your hope is you're going to be a part of that, then you ought to be assembling on a weekly basis, even on a daily basis, testifying that this is my hope. Isn't that cool? I like this quote. Each local church as it gathers shout a defiant no to the Christ-defying culture around it. So I started thinking about assembling on the Lord's Day and I just gave it to you there because here's the thing. When we assemble here, we're doing at least five things in relation to that coming day. Number one, it pictures His assembling us together. We gather here. You're here today as a witness that one day we're all going to be gathered with Jesus. How cool is that? That's worth getting up for, right? Secondly, it promotes our desire to assemble together with all God's people in the coming kingdom. That's in Hebrews 12. Listen, if you don't like going to church now, heaven's going to be a real disappointment to you, okay? I mean, if you're not into praise songs, you're going to hate heaven, okay? Uh, Whatever your style. I mean, my point is, what we're doing here. Now, please understand, heaven's going to be a thousand times better. Okay, I get it. We're imperfect. Not every service is the most exciting. I get all those things. But that's not why we're here. We're here because we love Him. We love this book. We love God's people. And we look forward to the day when our worship will be pure, white hot in His presence. Amen. That's good stuff. And it prepares us. We gather so that we can keep persevering. There's nothing more discouraging in the Christian life than not being an active part of a local church. So if you're not one uh, yet, we'd love for you to be LifeBridge Bridge to be your home. But it doesn't have to be Light Bridge. It needs to be, though, a Bible-believing gathering assembly, right? We just happen to think this one's pretty spectacular. And then it prompts it, it purifies... I mean, there's just so much here. And I love, I'll end with the C.S. Lewis quote at the end. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until death. I must never let it get snowed under (laughs) or turned aside. I must make it my main object of my life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same that's what this passage is all about and that's what believer priests do so first of all aren't you glad you were here on this Sunday okay right so the real application is where are you going to be next week right but it's not just about that let's spend the week considering how to encourage one another and if you're not in a grow group come see me we'd love to get you plugged into one Uh, They'll be meeting tonight at 5.30. So, good things. This is a great reminder, isn't it? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come, and uh, we thank you for the hard words of Scripture because they're always linked to promises and blessings. And Lord, when you exhort us, sometimes you give us tough love, and sometimes you give us tender love, but it's always love. And it's always meant to bring us closer to you, and for us to see your glory more. And for us to be more fulfilled in who you are. In the work that you want to do through us. I thank you for this church. It's long heritage and legacy. It's present people and it's for future hope. And I pray as we go upstairs and we gather with the larger body of LifeBridge. We'll be thinking about how that day is coming near. And how we gather as a defiant no to a secular culture that denies you, rejects you, and yet we have burdened hearts. We want to invite more into this fellowship. And so as we scatter this week, may we think and invite and be burdened to show forth your glory in a world of darkness. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be encouraged. Encourage one another.